Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Miss Fanny. We discuss cancer, sexuality, Alaskan politics, sex work, OnlyFans, and much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. survivor, social media personality, searcher of hornet's nests to poke, business owner, and OnlyFans creator. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we have breaking news. You might be getting off Twitter. What's going on? I might be. Yeah. So I posted a really unpopular opinion last week at the end of the week. Um, which was? Which I can... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Hey, I'm an anarchist. I like to ruffle people's feathers. I like to talk about ideas. I like to talk about unpopular opinions. Let's see. I haven't, I haven't I, read into this, so this is all this is all news to me. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm surprised you missed it and a little offended, to be honest. But I, I um, spent as little time on social media as I can. I try to spend less than 10 minutes a day on there, honestly. Especially now that I do this podcast, which is most nights of the week for me. I feel like I spend way too much time, you know, d- dealing with online nonsense. So I try to not really even check it. Maybe, maybe Sundays because I like the socialist Sundays and to connect with people. But outside of Sundays, I really don't spend too much time on it anymore. But go ahead. You know, given the fact that you have, you know, cultivated this successful podcast and you're fulfilled at work, hearing that inspires me because I spend way too much. Can I swear? I can swear, right? I try to keep a clean rating, but if you want to drop some bombs, go right ahead. Uh, I, I, I will just make it explicit. Uh, but, you know, that sometimes you never know. Uh, I really like Noam Chomsky. He's very professional, very buttoned up, never swears, never raises his voice. He's my inspiration, so that's how I try to go about politics. Because maybe there's a kid out there or a teenager making up his mind and, you know, maybe uh, actually hearing a... Uh, professional sounding argument will sway that person. I, I definitely think it feels good sometimes to swear and politics gets me angry. Um, but yeah, I think no one radicalized me like Noam Chomsky, just uh, cool, level-headed, never swearing, never raising his voice and just listening to the arguments. And because uh, I've, I've heard things like, uh, you know, <laughs> like rarely is the loudest, angriest person. Like th- that doesn't necessarily mean you win the argument. You know, a lot of times yeah. on, on political arguments, Everyone's like, oh, the loudest, you know, angriest person. Like, um, you just kind of make yourself look bad. You know what I mean? If maybe other people are watching. So I think if you try to, I don't know. This is just personal belief or thoughts. But, like, just arguments and politics generally. I try not to I try not to use too many F-bombs, too much swearing. On my first account, I did all kinds of swearing. All kinds of uh, unpopular opinions like you did. I even did, like, a little rapping. Um, but now this is, this is MC squared 2.0. I'm a little bit more buttoned up. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Go ahead, well, go ahead. Like let's I said, I'm inspired. I'm inspired by that. Cause yeah, Fanny needs a reboot. Like I need to step away from said hornet's nests and the biggest, the, the main impetus is just my own mental health and my time. I'm starting to value my time much more after having survived cancer. So I really, it is such a time suck if you're not doing it right. If you're not mindful about it, if you don't, you know, block your time and stick to it, it can really, it can run away with you. A lot of trolls out there, a lot of trolls, a lot of people just looking to have an argument, ruin your day, um, you know, dunk on you for missing a comment or pronouncing a name wrong or, you know, something like that. Um, It's just a lot of nonsense, you know, here's the other thing. Like I've talked about this on multiple podcasts, um, you know, rarely, I feel like when you, when people go into like, let's say a debate online, how often do you think you're changing that other person's opinion? But I mean, like maybe if people watch the debate, you know, you might change someone's opinion, but obviously the person you're arguing with, right? Almost rarely do you ever change that other person's opinion about anything. Usually like, you know, uh, I think, uh, my last, my last account, I got, I got, um, well, suspended one time for using the word cunt. Uh, and that's actually what you, your total cunt is, is what you want me Love to. Love that word. Yeah, so, you, yes. you, so you, you're owning that word, right? You're, you're kind of owning it? Yeah. So I, I haven't really sworn much on Twitter. That was the only time on MC Squared 1.0 that I got banned. And I, I just got angry and, you know, they had their point. I had my point, And I'm like, you know what? You're a cunt. And then it was like, ding, you're out for five days. <laughs> I have seen that green go white. Yeah. Yeah. You've been a lot of times? Is that what you said? Oh, dude, I've been suspended. I've had a 12-hour suspension something like 12 times. And I've been in week-long Twitmo for three three times. What's Twitmo? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what people refer to as when when you're suspended, whether it's for a week or you know, a day it's Twitter prison. Right. Um, that's probably, honestly, that's probably like not cool to say anymore. Mm. Now that I think about it. Um, I am fairly new to Twitter, right? I only joined a couple, a few years ago, 2020, I think is when I joined and I didn't really know where I, where I would find my ilk. Right. So I followed my boyfriend. He's a former Marine. Um, I followed some of his friends, he and I connected on politics. So that was kind of like where I started getting my feet wet. And then of course, uh, Roe got overturned last summer and shit just kind of hit the fan, you know? And I was like, F this, I don't like, I was done. I mean, I had been, I consider myself having been radicalized before that, but I was done being polite. You know, I was watching my mine and my daughter's rights being taken away, you know, systematically um, as the result of what has clearly been a long game by Republicans. Uh, it was scary and enraging. And I just didn't give a fuck about what people thought of the way I shared my message. And it's funny because I did in those three short years, I've, you know, got attracted, you know, over 6,000 followers, which feels pretty significant. You know, it feels important. Um, a lot of people say Twitter is not real. Um, 
but I've connected with some pretty awesome people. I mean, here we are today. This is very real. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. And a lot of people really seem to like my um, unfiltered, broad-minded, you know, bitchiness. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, ultimately, we're on the same team. We think there yeah. are lots of problems in society. We are certainly not Republicans. I no longer, maybe, I don't know if I ever considered myself a Democrat. Maybe when I was a little bit younger. But, like, more so, like, a leftist or a liberal or I don't know. Uh, I've been radicalized over the last, like, five years for sure. I think I was politically homeless. I think when I first joined Twitter, I was trying to find my way. So, for example, like, I would... <laughs> I was like big into sports and like I had a couple of teams that I followed and I'd retweet their stuff. And I'm like, wait, I mean, like, I'm not, is this what I'm going to like retweet, you know, sports scores? Like, is that what I, you know, join Twitter for? So eventually I like, you know, had a little bit of like, I was interested in golf and I still play golf. I know that's like a, it's a hot button issue with leftists, but I, I'm a golfer. I do like playing golf. Um, you know, but I stopped tweeting about that stuff. I stopped tweeting about sports because like, I've read some stuff and some arguments about, um, you know, sports from Chomsky and other people. Um, I think there was like a Roman emperor that said something like, if you want to something like, you know, keep the people, um, if you want to keep peace in the city or something like that, uh, give the people, uh, bread and circuses. Uh, and I retweeted that. I think it was, a uh, mass general strikes account, whatever that, um, she has a lot of good memes. I think it's a female. At least that's the picture. But anyways, um, the, uh, yeah, give the people, like, um, you know, bread and circuses. Distract the masses. You know, if you give them some food and some entertainment, some blood sport. And I've kind of, over the years, realized that, yeah, sport's just a big distraction. So I pretty much I pretty much went from, like, you know, a little bit of golf, a little bit of sports and scores and that sort of thing. And trying to be funny, like, doing some comedy stuff. Uh, now I'm just all straight up politics. Like, 99.9% yeah. politics, political issues, trying to educate the masses, trying to get some ideas out there. And then promote this podcast. And I, I guess what I kind of listened or realized, like, since I've started to do this podcast, is, like, I could have a long debate on Twitter and type it out. And then, you know, sometimes, like, send three uh, messages in a row because you only do, what, 140 characters. Is that a great use of my time? Are people even reading this? Or are they just trying to dunk on me? So I'm like, this free-form discussion, if people really have it, I usually just tweet out, like, one tweet, and if you're, like, liking a lot of my stuff, maybe you can check me out on the podcast and see long-form debate on what I think about issues. I feel like this is a way better, uh, much better, like, platform to get out my ideas and messages and philosophies. Um, you know, I think 140 characters try to find like-minded people, try to find that eco chamber where we support each other, and if we go into Twitter debates online, you know, we can kind of grow our group and watch out for each other but yeah mm -hmm. i just don't think it's like a best use of time uh to at least have an argument or change people's minds and then the other thing is like yeah we're kind of on the same team we're definitely on the same team we think that there's a lot of problems in society and we want to improve it so i think what our goal is and should be is to try to convert maybe moderates and try to get them on our side as, a, as far leftists or democrats or whatever you yeah, I think before, and I was going to ask you your ideology, you consider yourself, right? Then you say something like a Democrat or a liberal, and I was like, are you a liberal, a Democrat, or a leftist? And you're like, what's the difference? Great questions. I don't have answers, you know? Yeah. I consider myself yeah. more a leftist. Um, but what we're trying to do is maybe convert some moderates that are like, ah, oh, some Republican ideas are decent, some Democrats' ideas are decent, but I'm kind of homeless, which is maybe where I was 10 years ago, uh, and get them yeah. to the far, far left, and then maybe 
those moderates will talk to their, <laughs> you know, we need, what we need is, you know, to try to come together on the left and what we need is a mass popular uprising. You know, we need, we need a ground up revolution. We don't need a dictator yeah. to come in and save us. So if we can educate yeah. enough people and get them on our side, we can take back this country, democratize this country. And then I'm actually for the long run, uh, getting rid of nation states, standing armies, internationalism or extinction. That's one of my favorite uh, books by Chomsky, you know, the, the taking climate change seriously means to, you know, at least stop these nation states and this constant war and trying to get people together. And I think in America, we're a lot farther right on the political scale than a lot of other countries around the world because we are so big and so important. We have the biggest economy in the world and the biggest war machine in the world. But I think if you talk to other people, and that's what I find myself talking to people maybe in Australia and Europe, um, you know, even in Mexico, which is I'm around the border now, a lot of people, like, think the way that leftists do is, like, normal, right? But in America, yeah. I feel like... The political spectrum is a lot farther right, but I'm just kind of a long-winded way of saying, uh, in, in the long run, I think the best way to get people on our side is to have a nice, meaningful, uh, respectful discussion, although I've definitely taken the attempt sometimes of uh, getting angry and you know calling people out and looking for hornet's nests, but I think yeah. now we're getting into tactics. What's the best way to accomplish our revolution where our goals are the same, you know what I mean? Yeah, well... To be fair, I don't know that our well, yeah, maybe our goals are the same, but Which goals? some of us have more skin in the game than yeah. others. Reproductive rights, for sure. Absolutely, and that's like I said when it came to Twitter, and I found that I had a voice that people responded to, whether for better or for worse. That's the topic that got me the most engagement. Not that that was my goal at all. Like I just kind of watched my followers climb and and felt honored that people cared enough to, you know, tune into my opinion making. Um, but that was the issue where I started to really find my voice as, as Fanny and as, um, you know, a liberal um, fighting breast cancer. So come at me. I'm not scared of you. You know, I'm literally fighting for my life. What does this matter? You know, right. I also women are taught, you know, to be nice and polite and not ruffle feathers. And when we do, we're called emotional and, and usually dismissed. And so I think there are a lot of women right now who are really tired of that and tired of their language being policed and tired of people conflating. And I say people, I mean men conflating the use of expletives and higher volume as or with emotional behavior and therefore you know less to be trusted in what that person is saying so i and i have uh two daughters so i'm raising them to understand that there's no such thing as like bad words now please understand i'm not talking about slurs in but like words are just words it's how we use them and and whether we weaponize them trying to hurt somebody or if we're just using our voice trying to raise awareness. And I think there's a place and a time for, you know, using colorful language, if you will. And that's, for me, that time and that place was Twitter. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. I've, I've taken, I've done your tactics. I've done, I've been angry. Yeah. And, that, and the, and the issue. Circle, yeah. 
Like to circle back to your question was like, how often do I change people's minds? Yeah. Like, so I have a goal and it's happened before much to my delight that I've been able to start off interacting with a dude who like comes at me and says some, some crappy sexist stuff. And then you like, right. You quote his tweet. It's kind of your tactic. Well, I don't know if that's a tactic, but like once we start engaging, there've been a few times where I've gotten that guy to be like, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's cool, dude. And then we end up following each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I've been the one in the wrong and I'm yeah. not afraid to apologize, which I think has gotten me follows from people who aren't necessarily on my side of the aisle, so to speak, but because we can respect each other enough to be like, you know what? I came at you hard. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Here we go. Um, in fact, just the other day, someone was dragging me and I was like, dude, you're not even realizing that like you could have chosen instead to just be cool with all of us. But, you know, you came here being rude and he's like, you know, I'm sorry. And so there you go. But when it comes to things like abortion, which I spend most of my time talking about on Twitter, nothing like never, not once have I have, has anyone been like, oh, you know what? I, I agree with what you're yelling at me and using the F word saying, you know, like, yeah, no, yeah. it's, I think, but, you know, I think there is a catharsis to be found in screaming into the void, whether that void has a, a person in it, you know, who's like, you know, maybe we're just the, the one person in the forest to hear the falling trees. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think, I think if, if one person is swayed by our tactics that's a win, you know, for whatever argument yeah. or that you're taking up. I think there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of anger throughout the country. People on the left and the right. Um, the American dream has been taken away. I just retweeted some mm-hmm. stuff about pensions, the UAW. My biggest issue is working class solidarity. That's my number one issue. I want to bring working class people together, people that had been exploited, people that were sold something about the American dream and now are part of the millions of people that have uh, student loan debt, part of the $2 trillion student debt crisis, part of the thousands of people that uh, that become um, that, that, be, that file for bankruptcy as a result of um, the... You know, lack of healthcare system. It's a national scandal. We don't have a healthcare system. We have an international scandal. It's the most expensive healthcare system in the world by a long shot. At least two times more. Uh, we spend at least two times more per capita than any other country in the world for some of the worst outcomes in the industrialized world. For example, Cuba spends four percent of what America does per capita on healthcare, and yet they have about similar outcomes. So obviously something we're doing is not working. My biggest enemy is the economic system. My biggest enemy is wealth inequality. Uh, And I think that those are all the seeds to violence, revolution, and all sorts of terrible things. Now, for sure, um, I'm an ally to the LGBTQ, although that's not like, you know, identity politics, sexuality is not... My core issues, um, abortion, I'm an ally for sure, pro-choice. I have, I'm down here in Texas, 
every single day someone brings up abortion as it's like some moral dilemma that like how can we let women have abortions they should be criminalized or something like that and i'm like that's ridiculous first off i don't really have much of a say i just think that women should have a choice in the matter and i kind of get off the subject you know what i mean this is not my mm-hmm. issue i'm going to be an ally i'm going to help you i'm going to you know try to educate people that i think are in the wrong um certainly and i think it's mainly religious dogma um, but yeah, my number one issue is working class solidarity. But now I'm a super far radical leftist and anarchist. I oppose uh, concentrated wealth and power. I, content, uh, I oppose nation states. Uh, I oppose injustice, social injustice. Uh, I think that wage slavery or renting yourself to a master, we talked about a little bit in the pre-call, having to go to work every single day just for the subsistence to get by is intolerable. And in fact, that was uh, part of the working class revolution in the 19th century. Uh, that was uh, this factory girls in Lowell, Massachusetts during the, um, who were you know forced into these factories and forced to work against their will. They thought that this new spirit of the age was robbing them of human dignity, uh, all for wealth, forgiving, forget all but self. Uh, and they and their kind of their battle cry was, you know, those those who work in the mills, you know, the steel or the, whatever the factories, those who work in the mills ought to own them. And I think that's the core of socialism. Workers should have a say in the workplaces that they spend so much of their lives, the majority of their waking lives and the majority of your, your good years. I mean, I just retweeted this meme the other day. Um, someone, it was like a skeleton looking in the mirror and was just like, Hey, only another 30 more years to go. And then I can really start enjoying life. So that's my biggest <laughs> issue. I want to, I want to tackle, yeah. um, you know, class, class war. I want to fight back in this one-sided class war against the billionaire class, against the concentrated wealth and power, against the fraction of 1% that own more wealth than three or 4 billion of us combined. But if I could also yeah. be an ally for abortion rights, women's rights, uh, all those people that are victimized in this unfair society by the right, typically the right. I'm also for free speech. I think like book banning, book burning, and then let's kind of turn this around on censorship. What do you think about, let's talk a little bit about Twitter. Why are you, um, why are you choosing to leave Twitter? And what do you think about censorship? I mean, what do you think about this nameless, faceless corporation that says, hey, Fanny, you get five days in the, whatever, the Twitter jail because you used a word I don't like. There's no accountability to that. There's no court of law. They can just be like, hey, you're targeted. You're out for five days, or you can even they can even be like, let's say you have a hundred thousand followers and a huge following, and um, they, you know for some reason you ticked off Elon, and they could just be like, hey, we're gonna just ban your account. You're done. There's no accountability. You can't go to court and say, hey, reinstate my Twitter account. You know that's a that's yeah. a tyranny. That's tyranny against free speech. And I think ultimately Twitter is a town hall where we should be able to freely debate free speech, get ideas out there. What do you think about all this stuff? And what what why do you think about leaving Twitter? So, yeah, I guess it's ex social now. Well, I'm I'm a Twitter stronghold. I'm hey, like like we were talking about, you know, and we're just waiting for Elon to declare that a slur and uh, ban people for use. We're still calling it Twitter. Um, Yeah. yeah, So a few things to to address in that question. Um, I'm not bothered by a private company saying, hey, you can't say that shit around here. Um, I'm not bothered by, um, yeah, sorry, dude, you're going to have to put the E on your podcast. I apologize. That's fine. But, uh, That's fine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not bothered by, by that. And, and I might have a different perspective than you. I think it's a privilege 
to be able to say, I'm a free speech absolutist. Those people usually aren't the target of a lot of hate and vitriol. And I don't mean to downplay any uh, abuse that you've suffered or harassment that you've encountered, but as a white male, you're the least likely to, to have like slurs thrown at you and, and hate speech used against you. And I can tell you in my experience, every single day, every single day on Twitter, at least once, at least once some dude wanders along. We disagree about something completely unrelated, like body hair, for example, which I'll get to, or like a a political issue or even a sports opinion, right? They'll ultimately, once we, we start arguing and they realize that they're, you know, outmatched, um, They'll bring up my OnlyFans, um, inevitably. And so I started to bring it up in my quote tweets, which we referenced before, right? Like, I'll be like, okay, so here's another guy who, once we reach a point in the conversation where he has no cogent response, decides to bring my sexuality into it. And I called it what it was. I called that sexual harassment because that's what it is. We were having a conversation that had nothing to do with the work I do in OnlyFans. And he brought it up and said that, because my OnlyFans account exists, he doesn't even know what I do on it. Because it exists, because I have it, my opinions are less valuable. And that's tame, right? Like that's sexual harassment. It's upsetting. It's annoying. It's icky. But that's tame compared to when I get called um, a cam whore or a prostitute or, you know, a a cow selling herself for the price of a cheeseburger. And this happens every single day. And for the longest time I had the, the tenacity and the energy to fight it. Oddly enough, I think it's really what kept me going through cancer treatment. Not only because so many of my followers were really supportive of my journey and really spurred me on and, you know, um, encouraged me, but because it was, I was able to use my Twitter account as a, as a middle finger to cancer. You know, I was angry. I was scared. There was a lot going on, not only in the world, but in my body, in my life. And I just like, ah, you know, I just kind of let it, let it roar on Twitter and it felt good. Um, that stopped feeling so good. Like when actual abuse is normalized, I think that's a pretty sad commentary on free speech. You know, sure, you have the right to say that, but this is a space we all kind of agreed to follow the rules in and you're not following them. So I don't necessarily say that I like, I don't brag about the fact that I've been banned every single time I knew it was coming. Like I knew I was pushing it. My, my issue is I oppose all corporations. I am a super far leftist. I am an anarcho-syndicalist. So that basically means that I want all nation states dissolved. And I also want all private tyrannies, otherwise known as corporations, dissolved and replaced with um, co-ops, democratically organized workplaces, perhaps federation states. And, and hopefully we can kind of have these federation states loosely affiliated throughout a world model. This is pie in the sky, idealist thought here, political mm-hmm. 
uh, philosophy for sure. Um, but that's kind of what I want in my long view. Um, but in the short view, I think corporations are terrible. I think they are hierarchies placing some above others, people like Elon Musk and the board of directors and the executives and whatever, the CEO, I think there's a new one. And basically they kind of make up the rules as they go. There's no clear set of rules for Twitter. Obviously, if you've watched Elon's takeover, he's literally making them up as he goes. He's changing the name of the whole website. I don't like tyrants to get in there like Elon Musk, like a king might and say, hey, we're going to do it this way now. Or this is going to be banned now. Um, I'm, I don't like saying a free speech absolutist. First off, Elon is certainly not a free speech absolutist. No one with privilege and power are in favor of democracy or free speech because that, because that interferes with that privilege. So it's a lot. There's a lot of rhetoric about free speech and democracy, but the people in power do not really feel that way. But yeah, I maybe you don't feel the same about me in terms of my enemy. But billionaires aren't just my enemy. They're vehicles that they use to rob and exploit the world, which are corporations are also my enemy. So I want them all replaced. I think Twitter should be a town hall. How about it's publicly owned by the individuals? First off, American taxpayers funded the Internet for decades before it was sold off to people like Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates to make a fortune on. So yeah, we funded and research and funded the research and development for the internet and things that eventually came to be Twitter. Why can't it be publicly owned, publicly free? And now you got Elon out there talking about, now oh, I'm going to charge people to be on Twitter. Uh, I saw user, um, user uh, usage is way, way down, like millions of people uh, a week they're losing. And I think if they charge, they're going to be losing a whole heck of a lot more. Oh, yeah. So I think, again, I think corporations are evil. I think that they are the vehicles that the ruling class use to exploit uh, the world, the population, and certainly not just America, but the global south. So countries that are much more impoverished because of Western, um, you know, looting, stealing, robbing. Um, But like, for example, let's go to like Iraq. I've been doing a lot of reading on the second war in Iraq, not the first, but the second war in Iraq, we invaded there twice in order to, um, you know, maintain oil rights. Um, that is the basically the, 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 you know, I guess we have the central uh, component of the economy, an oil-based economy, as you know, in Alaska, that's uh, even gives you a dividend each year. But that's, it's a great thing for Alaskan citizens. Um, I think that every state that has, um, you know, a resource-rich um, sector of the economy, why not give back to the population? I think that's an awesome thing. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit when we get into Alaskan politics. But, for example, yeah. the reason the United States uh, invaded Iraq, and you can actually ask and look back at statistics, they, um, they polled Iraqis, something like 5% of the population um, thought that the United States was there to... Uh, spread democracy or some messianic vision, you know, like we were uh, there for good, like 5% of the population. And you could probably tie that 5% to the population to Western corporations and Western banks and Western moneyed, uh, you know, society. Um, 95% of the population thought that the United States was there to control Iraq's resources, 95%. Uh, and what are Iraq's resources at the time, and still is, it's an oil-rich part of the world, or oil-rich region, and an oil-based economy. It is oil, of course. And not only are oil companies benefiting, or oil cartels, which gets publicly subsidized to destroy the planet, billions of dollars a year. We give these 
private corporations who are making money hand over fist, especially now as uh, a lot of the world is, or some of the world, not even a lot, is boycotting Russian oil because of the invasion of Ukraine. And I'll get to that in a second. But um, when we went in there to Iraq, um, for oil purposes and these oil corporations that are highly publicly subsidized, not just here, but uh, the British Petroleum Company in Britain, not a surprise. They were on the U.S. side in Iraq. That's our attack dog. That's our lieutenant. They kind of come with us. We're the big dog, and they kind of come behind us because they want a little piece of the pie, and we'll give them what's left over. That's usually how it goes. Um, but then the weapons con- contractors, the United States is the world's largest um, weapon weapons trafficker in the world, world's, world's largest um, weapons, I think, importer and exporter. I believe ha- over half of the the world's weapons transactions involve the United States. So we are a leading terrorist state in the world. We are a leading state for carrying out violence in the world. And who makes out very, very well, not just in Iraq, but also in Ukraine, the weapons contractors, the weapons defense contractors like Raytheon, uh, Boeing, Bechtel, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman. These are all, um, you know, uh, what's the... What's the mercenaries of, you know, essentially mercenaries or angels of death or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and, and they are making money hand over fist for a constant war. The United States has been at war since 1776. It's good for business, the military industrial complex. But not only that, not only is bombs, planes, guns, destruction good for the military industrial complex. But then we go in there with highly subsidized engineering firms and construction firms to rebuild the society in Iraq, which we destroyed. Uh, and that's going to happen in Ukraine as well. So that's basically the, the model that the, you know, the, the rich and powerful, the ruling class use to rob, loot, and steal the world. So Twitter is just a microcosm. But, I, I mean, you can kind of go to any sector of the economy. All, all sectors of the economy, or even the food industry, which is owned by a handful of food corporations, uh, they are like this. And the same thing for the information system. Twitter, uh, and now Amazon is getting into the information um, you know, system and these data farms and databases. Apple, um, you know, Facebook. And then, you know, you want to talk about privacy rights. Not only are, um, you know, they controlling the censorship and the free speech on their platform and also the algorithms, um, you know, in terms of what, you know, is marketed to you, but they're, they're, they're selling our data. They're selling our data. They're spying on us. Uh, these apps, like how many times have you, um, said something in a conversation and all of a sudden on your phone, there's an ad for it. So I don't know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I just have a problem with these tiny, these corporations, which are run by, you know, the super elites, the tiny fraction of the 1% that are, you know, getting like, for example, Musk, the most, the richest, um, person in the world worth 200 some billion dollars. I don't even know what it is, but Bezos and all these people, but that's the vehicles that they use to amass this wealth and power. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I, I went off on a tangent about corporations and how I hate them. Uh, so maybe we don't have the same vitriol for these uh, institutions, but I want them abolished and replaced with co-ops and public, uh, hopefully uh, democratically organized workplaces. Like, for example, Mondragon, where I think like CEO pay now is like 300 or a thousand times 
um, more than the lowest worker, um, you know, the lowest paid worker. And a company or a co-op like Mondragon based in Spain, it's somewhere between five and nine times. So a little bit more equal distribution of wealth, uh, democratic decision making, all those sorts of things, which I think Twitter could be. Whether it's given to the population to own publicly, like a town hall, or just the Twitter workforce. We don't need, you know, we don't need tyrants and kings and, you know, people like Elon Musk that comes in and just says, you're banned. Like, I've, I've seen lots of stuff on, like, Reddit and stuff like that where someone interacts with Elon, says something Elon doesn't like, and all of a sudden their account is banned. You know what I mean? So that's why I think you said something about rules. I think these people make up the rules as they go. I think that definitely became the case once he took over um most of my favorite accounts like with the larger uh followings they left twitter right when that happened like the people i look up to most and to be honest i think it created a little bit of a vacuum in terms of the content that i saw and that's sort of when i was like you know this place is eventually gonna just you know smolder into ashes and so (laughs) whatever, you know, I just stopped having a filter. I really didn't focus that much on trying to build a following. I just said what I wanted to say and found the people who wanted to say it along with me or have my back when I ultimately got attacked for saying it. So, um, but like I said, as a woman on Twitter, who every day experiences harassment, objectification, um, abuse it's it's i appreciate being able to report an account who for example um you know mocks me for having only one tit and makes a reference to that's why my only fans is half off you know like that kind of shit like i just i think yes it's important to have many ideas out there but people I think are more prone to express their creativity and express their ideas when they know they're in a safe place. And for the most part, men kind of go through the world feeling like this is a pretty safe place for me. Right. And I, women just, we have to be more aware of that. And so so I, I, I've always liked the fact that when I'm feeling harassed by a certain account, I can block them. Sure. Yeah. But then I just find out a week later that they're doing the same thing to a friend of mine. And so, like, maybe that person doesn't deserve to be here. And so I think a certain, like, a terms of service is a, is a good idea. Well, I'm reading some Aristotle right now, and I'm on the chapter, Who Should Govern? So I agree with you. There should be some rules. As an anarchist, I want as little as possible. I think that the world is almost never made better by more lawyers or more laws, although I do think that there needs to be some. So then my question, I'll throw it back to you. Who should govern? Who should make up these rules? Who should make up this system? Should it just be Elon Musk based on the direction the wind is blowing? Or should we have some, you know, maybe public input or some sort of democratic process or maybe even a jury of our peers to say, hey, let's look at this transaction. Wow, this person was way out of line. Let's give them, you know, something like that. Of course, the the Elon and and people in uh, positions of power will never give that uh, authority away. But what say you? Who should govern and what sort of system? Who should set these rules and what sort of system should we abide by? Yeah, I think, so 
Man, this question could get so complex. So that's, that's the way, I, there's two, there's anarcho-communism, which is, uh, this is, I guess, my core element. Uh, society should be structured around community, you know, small communities, hopefully interconnected throughout the world, not these giant nation states, or anarcho-syndicalism would be uh, democratically organized workplaces. So I, I, my thought would be either give it away to everyone that uses Twitter, like maybe, you know, if there's 500 million people on Twitter in some sort of democratic way, you know, one, one, one person, one vote, whatever, I don't know. That's obviously going to be really mm-hmm. hard when you're at such a large scale. Uh, or this Twitter workforce, um, but certainly not just Elon and his goons that, that sit on the board of directors. You know, I don't want that yeah. one. But whether it's the community and the members of Twitter, one vote, whenever, and then maybe like you know, randomly, hey, you've been selected to sit on a Twitter jury. I don't know. I'm just thinking out yeah, loud. Here, but you know what I mean? I think that's a great idea. The idea of you know, um, yeah, a jury of your peers is always something I can get behind. Um, although even that was extremely problematic until very recent in our history, recently in our history. Um, yeah, the so who is, we want to make sure it's diverse, right? We certainly want, want, you know, I guess the Salem witch trials, I've read some stuff on that where uh, yeah. a jury of what all white men say, she's a witch, burn her, and that's the end of that, you know what I mean? So obviously yeah. we need some diversity uh, on those juries. But I mean, these discussions yeah. are kind of silly, but you can use real historical elements, right, in, in these types of discussions mm-hmm. to show the injustices that human beings have carried out throughout all of history. And a lot of the times it's been against minorities and women. Yeah. Um, and as a white woman, I don't claim to be oppressed. Um, you know, especially I live in a state where abortion is thankfully still accessible. Um, so I, I'm not going to claim that um but to the question who should who should govern you know i think it's an interesting like i said it's a big question it's the root of political philosophy i think it's the number one question in political philosophy and i don't think anyone's made that great of an argument i think the best argument i've ever heard is democracy Uh, uh sure that sounds great let's try that Um, I wish America was a democracy. I, I'd love to try it. I, I went back to the root of America, uh, the founding of America, where James Madison, the framer of the Constitution, said that government should be to protect the opulent minority. I'll say it again, the opulent minority from the majority. This is the founding of the country. Who did James Madison mean by the opulent minority? Well, of course, landed rich white property owners. Uh, and if you were a Native American, a woman, a black a slave in the country, you didn't have any democracy. Uh, and that's kind of what Aristotle talked about, too. Uh, in ancient Greece and Athens, the people that were considered citizens were white males, again, or actually probably just males. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure the uh, the Greek, uh, whatever, the different races and stuff like that there. Uh, but, you know, males, I think like 20, less than 20% of the Athens population were able to vote um, in elections. So part of what I want to do on the left is expand democracy. In the American democracy, it's never been all that great. Women can vote now. Minorities can vote now. That's good. Uh, but you always hear, um, for example, on the right, they want to raise the voting age to 25. They want to, they want to disenfranchise um, you know, people that have uh, committed a crime and paid their debt to society and they want to take their voting rights away when they get out of jail. I think that's ridiculous. I want to get rid of these borders, 
generally, and I want to have anyone vote as possible. How about this? Why can't kids and teenagers, why is it 18? Why not have, you know, 10 and 12-year-olds vote in elections? They're going to be on this planet a lot longer than I am, and the biggest pressing issue, at least one of them that I see, is the climate crisis. So someone that's, you know, in his 30s, uh, midlife, I guess, um, you know, the, the climate crises uh, and the climate crisis that we're experiencing now, for someone that's 10 or 12 years old, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot worse. So they're probably more inclined to vote for uh, climate justice now than wait on it. But someone, you know, in their 80s, 90s, that's made their money, that's comfortable, maybe it's not as much of a priority. So I think to expand democracy as much as possible and get as much input as possible, and I think usually... In a real democracy, I think uh, a majority rules, and I think usually, maybe the maybe the population and the majority is not always right about things. Um, but I think they're a whole lot better at figuring stuff out than uh, these goons like Elon and Jeff Bezos and those kind of those kind of people that are only interested in expanding their uh, wealth and power, which is already enormous. Yeah, but I think you know to circle back to what you were saying about how you used to be a sports fan and you've since kind of stepped away from that. Um, reason being that it really is just entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I think in America, we have a really twisted view of what counts as entertainment. And we, we focus more on entertainment than we do on actual pleasure and enjoyment. Um, I think we edify celebrities, we edify rich people, and then we're sold these $8 magazines at the checkout stand at Target telling us they're just like us look you know uh so-and-so goes out to starbucks just like you okay like that kind of shit is being sold to us to where we look at the kardashians as aspirational like if i buy their products or wear their clothes then i've got a shot at, at having the life that they have and and nothing against the Kardashians. I, I have respect for that empire that that Chris uh, Kardashian is building for her family. But at the same time, I just, I mean, I, it comes, this sounds so sophomoric, but it comes down to like some people just have way too much money and they have, it would be so easy like, I don't remember the math off the top of my head that it was circulating around when Elon was talking about buying Twitter for $44 billion, how easy it would be for him to, to actually make positive change in the world that would be lasting, you know, that would be so impactful as to shift a culture. He doesn't care about creating actual things. He creates, he cares about creating an image. So, and I think that's what corporations have effectively done too, is create this image of accessibility. And, you know, if you buy this product or use this drug, then these things will be attainable. Um, yeah. I think I've gotten away from your original question. Doesn't um, matter. We don't, we don't, we don't have any, yeah, we, we just talk about whatever and anything we feel like on this podcast. Yeah. Who cares? So, I don't even remember what the question was. So you asked a little bit ago, who should govern? Who should govern? And I am a huge political nerd. Like I mentioned, I'm watching West Wing for the third time, and it still moves me. It's like the ultimate escapism for people who are witnessing the, the 
post Trump era. Um, but I think it's important to have people who are democratically elected who can go and do a job in a place where those things are done amongst people who are like-minded in the sense that they consider themselves uh, civil servants. Um, Ralph Nader, one of my favorite uh, philosophers, I guess if you could call him that, said that he considers himself first and foremost, a citizen of the United States, which is the highest office anyone can attain. And I think there's really something beautiful to that. Now, I think we could use the system that we have now to change it from within, but it would require things like term limits. I don't think a lifetime appointment for anyone is acceptable anywhere. And I think that we need to have much shorter terms. I mean, the speaking of Alaska, you kind of mentioned Alaska politics just last week. Um, I heard that the... Um, I don't think we mentioned you are in Alaska, so maybe we'll get to some Alaskan politics stuff, but uh, yeah. if anyone's wondering why, I'm in Texas, you're in Alaska, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So there's talk about renaming the port of Anchorage after Don Young, and uh, I, my response to that was like, what, 50 years in Congress isn't enough for this man? We have to name something after him on Denina land? You know, like... Why? <laughs> um, why are we continuing to edify these people who really didn't do anything for themselves? They just had a system that was built for them specifically. So I think, you know, I had a short stint um, at a law firm who did, who was on contract with the municipality to, as a public defender. So we had most of our cases were public defense and it, um, I loved it. I loved learning about that. I loved seeing it in action. And yet, it was so discouraging, you know, to see, to know that there are people in jail as we speak because they can't afford cash bail. It's modern day slavery. It's wrong. And it's, it's, um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of struggling with what I should and should not say at this point, but I'm, I have a lot of respect for the, the system as it is now, because I see a lot of potential for change, but I think it's going to take people stepping back and saying, look, these, these things only have power over us if we submit to that power. Bingo. Agree. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I, I'm not for, as an anarchist, some people think like, burn it all down. I want chaos. I want no rules. We all go out there with AK-47s and the last person standing gets it all or whatever. That's certainly not what anarchism yeah, that's, that's is. That's sociopathic. That's not. Yeah, that's not anarchism. There is a rich history of anarchism that goes back to maybe as far back as Jean-Jacques Rousseau in the Enlightenment era, uh, Mikhail Bakunin, Peter Kropotkin, Mutual Aid, which is basically a book about people working together. Uh, I think capitalism is a system putting whatever, those workers in, in competition with other workers. And, you know, and if you don't get a job, if, so we're supposed to, like, believe some sort of dogma that uh, some percentage of the workplace workforce has to be unemployed, which is very problematic when, you know, maybe five, somewhere between, like, 5 and 10% of people uh, have to be unemployed. That's 
built into the economic dogma of the capitalist system. So um, that's very problematic when welfare programs are being defunded in the United States while we give billions to Ukraine and while we have essentially been at war since 1776. Um, you know, and I think that, yeah, I think our priorities are all out of whack. I think we have very limited safety nets, um, and they continue to be eroded and continue to be attacked. For example, like, uh, child poverty was greatly reduced, uh, during the pandemic, but then when those child credits, whatever, were, um, you know, taken away, um, I think child poverty went up like the biggest jump in the last year or two in uh, American history. We know how to we know how to combat these major problems in society like childhood poverty and hunger, which is a lifetime issue. Because I just had a neuroscientist on, and we talked a little bit about it. If you're undernourished as a developing child, you're going to have a lifetime of problems. So our priorities are all out of whack. I'm all about public defenders. I think that is awesome. In fact, I would love to see public defenders. Uh, on the Supreme Court, 100%. I think that I, I'm all about real working class representation. I'm tired of, if you look at our political system, the majority of people in Washington, in Congress, are, are you know, elites coming from a rich background, a rich politically connected mm-hmm. background. Just look at Bush 1 and Bush 2. I mean, literally a family. We have a country of 300 plus million people, but a son and a dad became president in this country. Or Donald Trump, a billionaire. You know, basically the Donald Trump president just showed us that um, the ruling class is willing to cut out the middleman, which is a political a politician, and they're really willing to just, you know, run for office themselves. Uh, it costs something like 14 billion dollars to run for president in the United States. I don't got uh, seven billion in you know money laying around. I don't got that kind of cheese and neither do my friends. So yeah, I mean basically uh, there was a joke um, I forget 19th century Chomsky always says it, but uh, it takes two things to win an election in America. The first is money and I forgot what the second one is. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of the way our system is. And then with Citizens United, uh, corporations have always bought elections, but it was, you know, kind of under the table kind of deal. Now they can explicitly buy elections because the Supreme Court um, basically equated speech to money. And this essentially legalized corruption. And for these corporations, and I even saw an article in Delaware, Biden's home state, which has always been very friendly to the banking industry. I'm doing a solo podcast on the corruption of that banking industry. It's essentially a cartel. Private banks can create money out of thin air. Um, there's, you know, they, 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 the uh, deregulation of the financial system since they broke down the Bretton Woods system, starting with Nixon in 1971, I, begin, I believe, has created more wealth inequality than the Gilded Age, which was, um, you know, levels we had never seen before, before the stock market crash and the Great Depression. But um, anyways, what I was getting back to is real working class representation. I'm all about term limits. I'm all about getting rid of the electoral college. I'm all about abolishing corporations. I'm all about a tax system that works. I don't think that we should have, um, you know, billionaires. I don't think they should exist. I think once you get over a certain uh, net worth or over a certain, uh, you know, I mean, these billionaires have more money in, you know, Five lifetimes they could possibly spend. So I think what we need is a yeah. tax system that works. Corporate corporate tax rates have been cut and slashed since the 50s when they were at their highest. And I think I even read on inequality.org. If anyone ever wants to get angry about the wealth inequality in the world, check out inequality.org. I think the average tax rate uh, an American pays 
is higher than the average billionaire tax rate. I can look it up right now. It's something like, uh, I forget. It's a few points difference. So essentially you have a teacher paying um, probably, um, I mean, some of these billionaires like Bezos and Musk, there's years, uh, Donald Trump too, there's years where he literally doesn't pay, they, these people don't pay any money in taxes. So you're telling me like a, uh, a, um, you know, a teacher in a, in a middle school or something is paying more taxes than Donald Trump, a billionaire. Uh, which is ridiculous. But yeah, I'm all about term limits. And I kind of want to get back to that question we talked about on the pre-call. Like, what do you, what political label do you put on yourself? I, so the way I see it, like no one in, no one in the mainstream, like Washington, either political party, Republican party or the Democratic party is talking about getting rid of term limits uh, for the Supreme Court, which I would, again, I want to expand the Supreme Court, but get them term limits. And why don't we even vote on them? Why are we appointing the Supreme Court? Uh, in the original days, the Senate was actually appointed. Now we actually vote on the House and the Senate and the President. Let's expand democracy a little bit more. Let's enough of the charade that the Supreme Court is not uh, partisan. It's completely partisan. These these, mm-hmm. these justices vote on party lines. So let's make it a political office because it obviously is. And I'd love to get you know public defenders in there. But again, let's get back to the question like labels. Like what do you what do you consider yourself? A liberal, a leftist, a Democrat, a Republican, a conservative. I, you know, I guess I would say, like overall, I'm an anarchist or a leftist, a socialist, yeah. whatever. These labels are some they don't have a lot of meaning. But the the reason I don't say like a Democrat or even a liberal because I feel like that's kind of your mainstream. Like Obama, maybe some people call Obama a Democrat or a liberal or Joe Biden, maybe even, you know, a Democrat or a liberal. I'm way to the left of that. Like most of the stuff that I'm saying, like, you know, let's get get rid of corporations and replace them with co-ops and let's get rid of, uh, you know, let's get rid of nation states, standing armies. Let's go to an international system. That kind of stuff is not talked about in the mainstream. So that's why I've kind of picked up, you know, socialist, anarchist, leftist, one of these terms that's just like outside the mainstream. I feel like the mainstream is, you know, you got your liberals or your Democrats, your Republicans, and it's a very, it's a very, um, it's a very small framework of debate. There's not much difference between the parties. There's basically just shifting corporate interests. Like, for example, you know, Wall Street tends to fund um, Democrats, and typically that's what Biden, his his home state in Delaware, a bunch of banks. um, That's what got Obama in the White House, and he, of course, rewarded the banks with the bailout when he took office during the financial crisis. And it seems like big oil, um, you know, typically from the Republicans who, whatever, are in climate denial for whatever reason. Obviously, Trump is putting retaining walls around his golf courses uh, that are on the ocean. So, obviously, they understand the climate crisis is happening. They're just not doing anything about it. But that, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's how I kind of consider myself. I'm not in the mainstream. I'm all out here in the left. And hopefully, maybe if this is your first time listening to me or maybe our discussion today, you're hopefully hearing some ideas that you don't typically hear on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. So that's why I've chosen maybe socialist or anarchist or anarcho-syndicalist or even leftist is more general, how I would describe mm-hmm. myself. How do you describe yourself and why? What's your label I, politically? Yeah, I describe myself as liberal because right now I vote Democrat because they are the ones that are not trying to take away my bodily autonomy and my daughter's bodily autonomy. Um, I'm not a single vote issue or I'm not a single issue voter, I should say. Um, I, yeah, I'm, um, I'm a liberal. I vote Democrat. That's, that's how I 
uh, how I define myself right now. Um, it doesn't really matter though. People are going to think what they want to think about what that means, you know? So, um, I think I mentioned to you when we spoke in our pre-call that I canvassed for Ralph Nader and, and Matt Gonzalez in 2008. Um, I watched a documentary about Ralph Nader called an unreasonable man and studied a little bit of him and, and started watching all the talks I could find and, uh, had a lot of respect for him. And of course, at the time I was vilified for voting for a third party because that's why Bush won and just, you know, uh, so since then I've just gotten to the point that, uh, I want to see the policies that, that, support my family and our health and well-being passed. And so that's the party I align with. Yeah, I think that uh, I typically vote Democrat or I don't vote at all. Something like half uh, of the country, something along those lines, don't even think it's worth voting for. It's basically yeah. a quadrennial extravaganza. Um, you know, every four I, years think that's an, I think that's an amazing privilege to be able to say I don't vote. And I like... It actually pisses me off when I hear people say that because why not? Like, it's a vote. It it matter. It so it matters to to me. You know what I mean? Like, it might there might not be any real impact that you can measure in your life, and maybe not even in mine because, like I said, Alaska still protects um, abortion access. But um, I don't know. I just, it, it bothers me when people with privilege choose not to vote. Well, I think the way that the political system is set up, if you're in a swing state, you should probably vote. I would say it's a good idea to vote. But again, maybe half the country doesn't think it's worth their time and doesn't think it's going to matter whether they go I mean, out and ratify decisions made by elites that don't consider uh, the interests of the population uh, or not. Or whether you're going to pull a lever for one or another bad candidates. Now, for, I'm, not, I'm not by no means for apathy. I think we... The worst thing we could possibly do here on the left, I'm on the left, as are you, uh, the worst thing in the world we could possibly do is be apathetic to electoral politics because the Republicans will be happy to win any election uh, easily, and they'll be happy to try to even steal an election illegally if they can get away with it, which they've tried mm-hmm. on numerous occasions. I've read a lot of stuff on the Al Gore stuff. That was pretty shady. Uh, even you know, I was t- kind of around, just around the time I started following politics, but... Boy, it was seedy. I found it. I saw a documentary on it. And I'm like, Bush is a criminal. I mean, Bush and the Republican Party. But it, it dates back to well before Trump. Some people that are maybe radicalized during the Trump era. This kind of seedy politics has been going on for a long time. But my guy Bernie was also um, screwed over by party shenanigans by the Democrats. That's why I would say yeah. I'm not a Democrat. Although I do prefer uh, the Democrats over Republicans, even if it's just to get Democratic judges in there on the Supreme Court and in the federal system, which is dominated by Republicans in the conservative order, which most governments around the world are dominated by the Republican and the whatever conservative order, which is a problem, a big problem, because the right wing uh, political machine around the world, um, every so often it flexes its muscles and you can see that. But um, yeah, I, I think if you are in a swing state, it's probably a good idea to vote vote against the candidate that you think is the greater threat. Uh, I'm more so into local politics. That's why I think third party 
has not been as successful in America because they seem to be, you know, focused on the quadrennial extravaganza and trying to, for whatever reason, get a long shot in the White House, which I think would be a great thing. But we're so far from a class conscious uh, society. And that's what I'm all about. Class solidarity. I think that there's too many people, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit, too many people out there with the manufactured wants, the public relations industry, they are the same people that sell us candidates as they as sell us toothpaste. It's basically, you know, image. If you even look at uh, elections, you're typically talking about body language, what suits somebody wore, or, you know, what, um, you know, what their what facial expressions were, or just silly stuff, or their character, or their sex lives even. Um, I think too many people are distracted away by the public media uh, machine from the important issues that matter because um, the, the two parties are so similar that you would need a microscope to kind of dis, you know determine any differences in these parties. I think the rhetoric is a little bit different and shores some stuff on abortion, which is very important. But outside of that, I don't see many differences between these parties. But what I would say is if you're in a swing state, vote against the worst candidate, and that's usually, at least in my political lifetime, the Republican. So I, I you know, when I lived in a swing state, uh, which I no longer do, I lived in um, Maryland, so I didn't vote in the Clinton-Trump uh, election because I didn't want either of those two candidates, and I knew, you know, a Democrat would carry that state. Now I'm in yeah. Texas. I don't think it matters much whether I vote because the the red candidate, the Republicans, probably going to win. But if I was back in Pennsylvania, I would probably still be voting. I would still probably think it's important because basically what U.S. elections, because of this ridiculous electoral college system and the gerrymandering that the Republicans do, uh, what a handful of states basically determine uh, an election for 300 million people. It's absurd. Yeah. I think if you live in a swing state, you should vote and probably vote against the worst candidate. I'm not going to say vote blue no matter who, although in my political lifetime, that's usually who I voted for. I've never voted for a Democrat for, I'm sorry, a Republican, although some elections I didn't think it was worth my time to even go vote because I knew, you know, what party was going to carry my state. But when I did live in a swing state, I did vote, uh, including for Obama twice, although I hated uh, his policies, um, and he's part of what radicalized me in the Occupy movement. Um, Obama it was some of the reasons where the financial system and the, the banks that were too big to fail bailed out those banks, and when he bailed those banks out, uh, they became bigger, stronger, and richer than ever. So he even made the system worse. Uh, he was also the porter-in-chief, Obama, uh, deporting more people uh, outside their out of America than any administration in history. Uh, he was also expanded the Patriot Act, the drone assassination campaign. He also went after more whistleblowers than any uh, presidential administration of all time. And that's just part of the right creep of our political system. As uh, Chomsky mm-hmm. says, if Richard Nixon was the last liberal president, of course, Nixon was a Republican. But if you look at his policies and compare them to Joe Biden or Obama's policies, Nixon was a lot farther uh, left than the modern Democrats. And even Eisenhower, who was a Republican, was in favor of pretty much every element of the New Deal, the FDR New Deal, which is what much of the Democratic Party uh, is founded on. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that too many people, I'm all about class solidarity. I think too many people walking around in this country consider themselves inconvenienced millionaires and billionaires in waiting and are distracted by whatever bread and circuses or, 
you know, magazines or movies or TV or manufactured wants and consumerism instead of real working class issues that matter or real issues that matter to you, like abortions, rights, women's rights, and the kind of world you want your daughters to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, before we move some topics here, I do want to say and, and kind of get back to our discussion, I am not for apathy as it relates to um, politics. I think it's important to vote. We do have uh, at least a democratic facade. You know, the appearances, supposedly, we live in a democracy, although there was a study by Princeton University that says something like 90% of the opinions of the population do not matter. The United States is an oligarchy, not a democracy. Uh, we do have some democratic history and some democratic institutions, although they were never all that great to begin with. Um, we're a lot farther along than you know some countries around the world. Saudi Arabia, for example, or Russia uh, is another. Um, so you know we have a lot more freedoms than you know people of the global south for sure, who a lot of the times are under the America, America's boots uh, and under you know under our military industrial complex and our war machine. Um, but yeah, I think for sure we do have the ability to vote, which is a lot more than a lot of people have, uh, and maybe we should take advantage of it. I think the way that we both want change, we both want revolution, we both want a better world. Um, I want bottom-up revolution. What we can do is change things within the system, you know, whether you are... Um, you know, a public defender or working for a public defender as a civil servant or maybe out there campaigning, trying to get Ralph Nader, you know, in, into yeah. uh, a seat in politics. That would be inside the system or maybe you even run, you know, for a, uh, a political, maybe maybe the next uh, Alaskan senator. Who knows? But um, also outside the system. And that's part of what I'm doing here on Necessary Illusions. And that's probably part of what you're trying to do on your account is, you know, you're not on CNN. You're not on Fox News. You're trying to change people's opinions and, or trying to get together and, you know, hopefully connect with other like-minded people, maybe um, get yeah. some ideas out there. And that's kind of what we're doing certainly here on Necessary Illusions and probably what you're trying to do uh, is, you know, change change the world for the better outside the system. We are nobodies. We are small, uh, you know, small fish in a big pond for sure, but yeah. it might have some impact, you know, so – that's the way I see it. Two ways for change inside the system and outside the system. And certainly if we abandon electoral politics and we are apathetic towards uh, to uh, to the elections here, I think the Republicans and the right will take those easy wins and have no problem with uh, continuing to um, dismantle um, what's left of you know the safety nets here in America and take away rights from women, minorities, uh, you know, mm-hmm. People like you talked about uh, people in I don't think slavery ever ended. For example, if we go to mass incarceration in the United States, people forced to work for pennies, a dollar forced prison labor. Um, You know, that's a lot of what the Jim Crow South did was criminalize black life, putting people in chain gangs and taking them off of slave plantations. But the effect was essentially the same and exploited slave uh, labor workforce, essentially. But anyways, yeah. that's, we got real political there. Anything you want to end with the political mm-hmm. stuff before we go to OnlyFans, Inc.? Um, you know what? I say we just jump right into that. We were, uh, I'm much more confident in this wheelhouse than in the political one. So we talked about <laughs> a little bit sex work. Are you a sex worker? Mm-hmm. We had talked on the pre-call. Is that being insensitive to people that actually sell their bodies for money? Uh, actually, you know, having sex with clients for money. 
Uh, you are you yeah, are let's... on OnlyFans. I said that you were a sex worker, and you said, ah, oh, I'm not sure, and, and it might be a little bit in- insensitive to the people actually out there. So are you a sex worker, yeah. and what's kind of your rationale? Well, I do consider myself to do to be doing sex work. Um, but to your point, I think there are sex workers out there who've, one, been doing it a lot longer than I have, who were doing it before OnlyFans, who maybe were forced out of sex work-like uh, video filming porn onto OnlyFans during the pandemic. Um, but I want to... I just want to address something you said real quick about selling their bodies. Um, that's not what sex work is. You know, sex work is, is literally having sex for money or perform, you know, uh, doing performative work, whether it's stripping or taking nudes and sharing them on OnlyFans. Um, but I take a little issue with that particular phrase um, and I understand that it's just a phrase, but it gets thrown around a lot as though, it's especially right on the heels of a discussion about slavery and mass incarceration, right? Like we all sell our bodies, you know, everybody who works sells their body. I'm labor a wage slave. I'm a wage slave. hundred percent. I, I rent myself to master for the subsistence to get by. No question about that. My mind yeah. might be elsewhere, but my body is at work all day, every day, most yeah. days of the week. And that's why I say sex work is work. It's labor is labor is labor and it sells. <laughs> it's, it's maybe the world's oldest profession. I am for that legalization of all sex work. I think it's going to happen regardless if it's legal or not. Part about what I've talked about before. I don't think the world is usually made better by more laws or more lawyers. People are going to do sex work again, maybe one of the world's oldest professions. So maybe what I think should be done is legalize it, decriminalize it and put safety, you know, regulate it, give um, sex workers resources, safety nets, um, maybe healthcare, um, you know, Mm -hmm. safe havens. Uh, I I don't know. This is not my wheelhouse, but just protect them and give them the resources they need to stay safe. If they're going to do it anyways, I don't think that they should be thrown in prison for trying to make a living, um, you know, selling sex for uh, the subsistence. We're all, you know, wage slaves. We're all selling our bodies in one way or another just to get by in this capitalist mm-hmm. system. So what do you think about decriminalization, yeah. legalization, and what do you think about sex um, business generally, whether it's OnlyFans or whether you're, you know, at a strip club or whatever, doing some other, you know, sex work? Um, yeah. I think it's important what I think sets OnlyFans apart is the fact that it is run entirely by the individual, right? Well, that's not to say that there aren't people who manage OnlyFans models. Um, and certainly that's been abused, but for the most part, it put the power back into the hands of the content creators, the, the work, you know, the sex workers um, to create, produce and disseminate their own material. That's huge. Um, However, like I said, I was late to the game. I only joined OnlyFans uh, last in March, actually. Um, and it had a lot to do with my battle with breast cancer and my feeling of disconnect from my own sexuality or having being forced to redefine what I found sexy about my own body. Um, so OnlyFans for me was really a way to express my sexuality and 
to get the feedback and the validation that I, that I needed, frankly, in order to reconnect with that part of myself. So yes, I technically do sex work, but do I claim the, the title of sex worker? No, because I have a lot of respect for sex workers who've been doing it for a lot longer and who have built and shaped the industry. What do you think about decriminalization, legalization of all uh, facets of sex work? Are you in favor of that? Oh, absolutely in favor of it. I can't really speak to the what specific policies would need to be um, enacted in order to do that or where and if those things are being um, advanced. But uh, absolutely, I would support it. And in fact, you know, this might be um, an impetus for, you know, researching that more and starting to have more of a voice in that realm. Uh, yeah, and you had talked about uh, the pre-call. Your partner was very uh, supportive of you going on OnlyFans, maybe even encouraging it. And you also said mm-hmm. it was therapeutic for um, body body dysmorphia. And then I think you also talked about it. Maybe we can um, swing back to Twitter here a little bit. For a while, Twitter was very um, liberating. Uh, it was very uh, therapeutic, but now it's kind of lost that appeal. Um, but it was part of yeah. the, the um, you know, trying to find you and maybe your identity and all that sorts of stuff that happened as you were, mm-hmm. um, you know, fighting cancer and maybe you're feeling, you know, disconnected from your body, vulnerable, scared. I'm sure lots of different things mm-hmm. uh, going on at the time. So can you maybe talk about what, what drew you to OnlyFans, your support from yeah. your partner and maybe some of the issues that it helped you overcome? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so once again, a multifaceted question. Great questions. Um, my partner is amazing. And um, we started experimenting just on our own with fun, interesting things that I'd never experienced before. My sex life before was so bland. Um, that's a whole nother two hour episode, dude. Call me back. Uh-huh. But uh, anyway, um, no, we and we liked making content for each other. One of the things that we do, which I love, and I'm not a life coach or a therapist or a, you know, relationship coach, but um, we have nights to ourselves where one or the other of us will get the room to ourselves, get the bathroom to ourselves. We get to play with toys, experiment, um, get off, watch porn if we want. Sometimes we join each other, sometimes we don't, but it's considered self-care for each of us. And when we're doing that, the person who's, you know, will often send videos and pictures and they're always extremely hot. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of where it started was like, we have a lot of really hot content and we could totally do this. Um, and then, uh, because we live in a smaller community, um, in Alaska and he was a little bit less, um, he was a little bit reluctant to have his face, out there too much. Whereas I'm like, you know, I, I really have nothing to hide. And this was part of my liberation and empowerment, not only as at the time, uh, a sex cancer, like warrior, uh, sex cancer, breast cancer, um, warrior. But, uh, it, I also needed the money. I had been out of work since October and, uh, it was really tough. I was surviving, um, on very little. So that helped. It was a huge boon to my income. Um, which in and of itself is a stress reliever, but yeah, it ended up being a really cool outlet. Um, 
for me and something I'm actually really proud of. And uh, I'm going to re- uh, talk about like the body body dysmorphia. Can you talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit and how maybe just generally your sexuality, how you look at yourself, your identity, uh, maybe that helped you uh, overcome some of the problems, I guess. I think you said something about yeah. like, you know how you looked at yourself in the mirror and you were – you just didn't, yeah, see see the, the person you're used to seeing or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And I know that a lot of cancer survivors who might be listening will relate to this, whether it's breast cancer or any type of cancer that requires the removal of a body part or the irrevocable, you know, transformation of a body part, a colostomy bag, things that are either added to or taken away from your body. Um, in order to help you survive. So, of course, you're super thankful for it and you're really glad that you made it through. But, man, you know, you really miss your tits. <laughs> um, it's hard to see your body go through that much change. Um, and for me specifically, as a woman and losing a breast, which is such a, in a piece of iconography when it comes to womanhood, that was really tough. I had to really think about how I would maintain my sense of self-esteem and my idea of, of being sexy. Um, you're, can you talk a little bit about like what you do and like, I guess connecting, uh, with people on OnlyFans? you had talked about, it can be demanding because people, uh, are always wanting new content and that can be challenging. Um, and maybe you connected with, uh, you connect with some, people battling the same type of issues, like overcoming cancer, disease, illness, Mm -hmm. uh, but yet still having a high, you know, sex drive or still, you know, having a lot of sexuality in their life, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So what I'm, what I do mostly is share videos and photos. Um, But I also try to spend a lot of time connecting with my fans in DMs. And one of the reasons that's really important to me is that I'm a very sincere person. I'm an empath. And I know that what drives something like OnlyFans to work versus just logging onto Twitter and finding enough porn to get you off in the moment, right? That it's this idea that you can connect with the person. You can have almost the sexual relationship with the person that, that isn't harmful to anybody. It's consensual. It's, it's confined within you know, your phone or your, or your computer and doesn't really, um, have to impact your daily life. Um, obviously I don't want to get into too much detail about the people who are, uh, following me there because it is such a private thing, but yeah, it's a lot of emotional labor in addition to the physical labor and having gone through cancer treatment. And in fact, being in the midst of cancer treatment while I was creating a lot of content, um, it's exhausting. Uh, you know, uh, trying to get into the right pose, arching your back just right. Uh, I, I would break a sweat, you know, just trying to like hold that image while the photo was counting down from 10. Kind of like so, an art form, right? A little bit of an art form? It is. And it's really interesting because, and I've talked to other creators about this, um, who I'd love to shout out if I, if I could, but um, they, you know, we do our own lighting, our makeup, our hair, not so much me because mine's buzzed, but, uh, um, we do the set direction. We do 
all the takes, we do the sound and then we edit it and then we post it and then we promote it, you know? So we're doing all, all of it ourselves. And then I think for me, it's interesting. I have a hard time knowing how to value it. You know, what price tag to put on it. Um, you're putting price tags. Uh, let me, let me try to understand OnlyFans Inc. Some people have subscriptions. Uh, some people don't. Yeah. And then you could sell like pay-per-view or pay, pay by the picture. Maybe uh, someone that has no familiarity with OnlyFans and maybe that's listening. Can you talk a little bit about the OnlyFans Inc., the OnlyFans business model? I hate corporations. I heard, uh, I think we talked about, mm-hmm. they take 20% off the top. That's ridiculous. This is your labor. This is your work. All they're doing is giving you the platform. The platform is really important, especially yeah. when considering sex work, right? Because... But that's what Sex it is, twenty percent off the top. Is that right? They're taking twenty percent. Um, I have to. I don't want to. I don't like. Something don't like quote that. me on that. Yeah. Yeah. It it was worth it to me because yeah. I like I said I need the, the money. However, having said that, I still um, for those who aren't into OnlyFans, um, I I sell content directly on Twitter as well, just through DMs and using cash apps. So, um, but yeah, I think. It's so yeah that you know OnlyFans might also be kind of a, a dying thing. I I know that it really um, had its heyday during the pandemic, um, so it might be kind of starting to fizzle out. I'm not sure. Maybe I was late to the party, but um, yeah. I I'm sorry. I think I got away from your original question. Well, how about yeah, OnlyFans Inc. in the business model? You said you know you sell. Some people do subscriptions. You sell content directly oh, even right. on Twitter. Um, my thought was, hey, let's make a let's make a leftist OnlyFans like co-op where content creators uh, are part owners and they're, uh, they're we're not taking any any money off the top. But yeah, OnlyFans Inc. in, yeah. in the business model. Um, yeah, anything more to say on that? Um, you know, I'm still fairly new to it, and it is certainly the kind of work that you get from it what you put in. So initially, I. I had over a hundred fans and I was um, making great money and feeling really good about it and, and putting up consistent content. Um, and then at the end of radiation, I was just so tired and it, I stopped posting as often and I could see uh, my okay. earnings going down, yeah. subscriptions dropping yeah. off. So I think it's a model that works if you work it, not to, not to, um, <laughs> I'm sure some steps, people, though, but... right, they can do that full-time. They could probably do OnlyFans yeah. and content creation, uh, maybe, yeah. like, social media influencers, but, like, you know, sexual-type, you know, influencers. I'm sure there's yeah. tons and tons of people out there making a, li- a living solely off of OnlyFans and other similar sites, I guess, right? Yeah. and I, I, Yeah, absolutely. And I think the accounting behind it is pretty simple, you know? It, it may be a lot, but it's easy. And um, so, therefore, it's very accessible for anyone from any walk of life who wants to to increase their income. And 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 who knows? I mean, people have a lot of different reasons for bidding on OnlyFans, and not everyone is selling sexual content on OnlyFans. There are some people who are doing personal training or yoga or cooking classes. So interesting. Um, yeah, although I do think that OnlyFans is certainly associated with sex work, whereas something like Patreon is associated with um, other types of labor. But, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm happy with it so far. 
because it's simple and because I can kind of pick it up and put it down and it's, it's just always there kind of running in the background, you know, and then to your point, I do, I have used my Twitter account to promote only fans. Um, and most of my fans reference my, my Twitter takedowns when we talk yeah. in DMs on only fans. So, um, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice being seen fully. You yeah. know, I think Twitter can sometimes be pretty one dimensional. And yeah. so adding literally everything, you know, showing um, my body and my sexuality and my sense of humor and my political takes and my attitude, that all kind of makes for a really interesting relationship uh, developing. I think you said, um, so. recall your sexuality, your sex drive didn't diminish and maybe even there was an uptick uh, during your battle mm -hmm. and with, with cancer and that kind of stuff. And it was a, maybe a nice outlet or way to kind of express yourself sexually when you were going through some hard times. Yeah. 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 Because people may not know this. Um, and this is something that I intend to kind of spread far and wide um, in my podcast, which we'll, we'll, we'll mention later. Um, so chemotherapy actually made my fluids toxic to my partner. Um, so we weren't able to have sex. Um, not, you know, I mean, we could still, um, try other things and obviously our sex life maintained, but yeah, it really had to kind of, it really, uh, I learned a lot of things about it. And, and I think you mentioned earlier, there was a sense of like disconnect, from my body, you know, because now it was something that had to be literally avoided for safety reasons, you know, and, um, but yeah, I maintained a pretty high sex drive throughout it. So I was able to use my OnlyFans to kind of, um, satisfy that need to feel seen as sexy. Um, what about during, the, the, during the conversation with the doctor? Was that something that you think that's always brought up as, you know, the toxicity of bodily fluids uh, on chemotherapy? Or was that like a question that you had asked them? Because I, 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 I did not know that. Uh, that's something maybe should be common knowledge for people. Maybe some people didn't even know that, you know, that were on it. So that, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of news to me. Yeah, well, I think, and, and one of the reasons I want, I'm, I'm working on um, my message and getting it out there through podcasts is that it's definitely not talked about enough. Yeah. I mean, women don't really talk about their sexuality enough. And when we try, we get slut shamed. Um, so, and also I think people don't really talk about cancer that much. Um, I mean, obviously it's everywhere, right? Like fighting cancer and we have the pink ribbon and we have the, um, yellow, you know, all the ribbons to, to remind us, but, and, you know, one in eight women will get breast cancer in their lifetime. So it affects a lot of people. And yet I don't hear a lot of women talking about, Hey, how do you feel? Do you still feel sexy? Do you still have a set like libido? Like what's going on? Like it's, it's, and maybe it's because a lot of us are just kind of scared for our lives. We have kids, we have families, we, we, we have to fight. And some of us have jobs we have to keep during treatment so maybe it's on you know the back burner for a lot of people and maybe that's okay with them but for me it it was really like forefront in my mind um and also because my my partner and I had only been together for two years under two years when I got my diagnosis so I felt like, holy crap, my body is changing. I'm, I gained 30 pounds during chemo, whereas I've, I've always been a very fit person. 
Um, and that was always something that I knew he was attracted to. Um, so I lost confidence and yeah, my body image kind of tanked, um, as I was gaining weight and I really had a hard time needing a lot of reassurance that he still found, found me attractive. Yeah. You, you said know? too, so, on the pre-call, like losing hair, like there's a lot of things that go into the process that, you know, your partner, yeah. um, yeah, like just, just changed your dynamic and, and your body was changing and yeah, just a lot of, a lot of things going on there. Yeah. So maybe we can kind of get into the podcast, the message you want to spread about maybe your journey. And then I also kind of want to get into like social, social networks and, you know, social support systems. I think that that is very important. Uh, maybe you could talk about yours and there's probably a lot of people out there that might not have those strong social support systems that are fighting uh, cancer and fighting, you know, illness and disease and possibly even terminal illness um, and hoping and needing, you know, connect with people and maybe talk to someone and, you know, maybe that can be part of what you do on your podcast, but also, you know, OnlyFans, how you kind of talked about a lot of it is sure you're selling pictures and videos, but I guess the, the su successful um, people on OnlyFans, they're building relationships with their fans, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can necessarily say that I'm successful relative to people who are already established porn stars out there. You know, I have no frame of reference, but I feel like what I do is valuable and um, fulfilling for me, at least. And I, I think that for my fans, the feeling is mutual. Um, yeah, I, I do want to talk. I want to create a platform with my podcast that allows these kind of conversations to take place, um, to laugh about things like, you know, not having to wax your bikini area because chemo took care of it and how you have the energy to have sex during radiation treatment and weight, like all the things that, that, uh, that cancer or chronic illness, um, all the ways in which it can affect your experience as a sexual being. And I think that our sexuality is often something that is, that takes a back seat or is even considered by our friends, family, even doctors to be not as important as just fighting the fight, you know? Yeah. Um, but that deep connection, that intimacy, that need for, for sex, for gratification, for um, pleasure and intimacy is it never goes away. And in fact, I think for me, it became even more important as I was facing, you know, possibly a, a life ending disease. So what do you think? Uh, what are you going to call your podcast? Where is this on the stages of development? Uh, you gonna, are you getting ready to put out some episodes here soon? Where are you in the process of this podcast? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Sick is Sexy. And we're going to talk about the ways in which cancer or chronic illness impact our sexuality and relationships and even self-esteem. Um, I am still in development. I am collecting interviews and um, writing stories and, and uh, just developing it. So I'm not sure when it's going to launch. I've had a, a couple of setbacks that I'm not at liberty to discuss at the moment. But um, I would love to launch it after the new year. I think we can look forward to that. And um, I'm going to start promoting it on Instagram. So look out for sick is sexy on Instagram. Very cool. Very cool. Um, why don't we maybe finish with 
some Alaskan politics, and then we can talk about anything else yeah. you want to talk about. What's going on in Alaska? So I'm down here in South Texas. We're getting ready for uh, the finally the nice uh, part of the year. Uh, we just got done with the summer months, and I think it was basically 100 degrees for the last four months in a row. I finally, for the first time, seen some 80s here. But obviously, yeah, there's a lot of Texas politics that I do not like. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's definitely unfortunate. But I don't want to make this about Texas politics. What's going on in Alaska? You're getting ready for a cold winter. And what's some of the big, um, what's some of the big political issues and fights going on up there? Anything? Um, there have been some interesting school board meetings on the local level dealing with the same issues that are happening all over the country, you know, um, allowing access to sports and even spaces for um, LGBTQ kids, trans kids specifically. Um, we elected our first indigenous woman to Congress, Mary Peltola, huge shout out to her. Um, and uh, yeah, that was pretty huge, I think, for a lot of people. Of course, we've got some long-standing Republicans representing us, and um, ultimately, Alaska is a pretty red state. Although there are liberal um, strongholds, and uh, you know, you mentioned earlier oil being a huge natural resource of ours, and we protect it pretty fiercely. I think even a lot of people in Alaska who consider themselves socially liberal might consider themselves fiscally conservative because Alaska has such abundance of these natural resources. And I think um, from my limited perspective, does a relatively good job about um, giving back to the citizens. For example, the permanent fund dividend is coming out any day now. Um, I, so, yeah, I mean, no doubt uh, that that's important, you know, the dividend and, you know, an oil-based economy, but I guess my, view as a super far leftist, and I think environmental crisis might be maybe the biggest issue other than nuclear war that we're going to continue to face in our lifetimes. It's an existential issue. It could be the death of all of us, the end of humanity. And certainly, um, you know, your kids and stuff, they, and, you know, even generations uh, uh, behind them, this is going to be a major issue. And if we don't act now, there might not be yeah. a future of civilization. Civilization. I'm all for um, renewable energies. Uh, I'm all for public transportation, high speed rail. I think we need to uh, we need to, to hopefully start scaling back this oil based economy. Leave those dinosaur bones in the ground now. Um, but for some reason, you know, it's very very slow, and I'm not sure uh, we're going to. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to, you know, combat this climate crisis. Every every study I see, you know, next summer is going to be hotter than the last. Uh, this mass extinction event, the end of biodiversity, um, you know, these globalized food chains and destroying ecosystems and pollution and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, yeah. as a liberal, uh, what's your thoughts, you know, and as an Alaskan too, obviously it's a huge component of the Alaskan economy. What say you about the environmental crisis that we're facing? And what about our reliance on oil? Eventually this oil mm-hmm. stuff is going to potentially destroy our yeah. planet if it hasn't already. Yeah. We have to remember that it is a finite resource and um, the cost of, extracting it and purifying it, um, you know, to sell to the masses is high. Um, I mean, recently speaking of Alaska politics, Juneau, our capital, um, was flooded massively. Homes were lost when Mendenhall Glacier suddenly, um, 
you know, melted and, and calved and it, it's scary. Like we're seeing it happen in real time. Um, I am, so I live in Alaska and I have for many years, but I'm not an Alaska native. Um, I'm a white person living on Denina land. I personally think that our Alaska native population should um, be leading the way in policy making for our state. Let's go to a couple random questions here, some quick hits. Uh, do you believe in God? What is religion? Religion is rooted in patriarchy. It's yet another tool to oppress people and especially marginalized people. We're taught that being poor is simply um, our way of honoring God because we're earning treasures in heaven. We're taught that women should respect and defer to men. I say that I I was raised in a Christian home. I was a virgin bride at the age of 20. Um, I never did any drugs or drank. I was so square. And um, then when it came time for me to be a mom and I was exploring the idea of teaching my kids a religion, it just just didn't sit right. And um, I didn't want to lie to my kids and I could not, I don't have proof that God exists. Therefore, I consider myself an atheist. I think um, religion is important to some people. You know, tradition, ritual, that's a way to connect to your spirituality. It's a way to self-reflect. It's a way to meditate. Um, I practice yoga and meditation. So I think those can be useful tools for some people. Um, But considering also what the religious right is doing in our country, you know, the state in which my girls were born is they're now considered lesser citizens with no rights to their own bodies. So um, I think it's doing a huge disservice and a huge it's actually dangerous in our country. You know, people like Matthew Kaczmarek in Texas uh, who are trying to ban Mifepristone from being available. Um, there's a lot going on that the religious right is behind. Um, and so I have no regard. I, I abhor it. Who killed JFK? <laughs> um, you know, what's crazy is uh, having lived in Dallas. Um, that's where my uh, my kids were born. I, uh, you know, been to Dealey Plaza, found the whole museum to be really lacking on, on conspiracy. Um, but I recently found out that a cousin of mine was the one who was leading that, that cult in Dallas. So. What's the answer? What's your answer? Who killed JFK? What's the answer? Um, I don't really care. Nice. Uh, Me too. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Are we alone in the universe? Do aliens exist? No. No. I, are we alone in the universe? Sure. Uh, James Webb, that telescope is just blowing my mind right now. I, I don't think there's any way we're alone in the universe. When I was a no kid, I used to have that, anxiety though. about the MDF. Right? What's there's that? No proof, there's no proof for God. There's also no reputable proof that there's aliens out there, is there? Yeah, but no one's asking me to worship aliens, and no one's okay. telling me that aliens are telling me that I have to follow their rules. I'm skeptical of both. Have they been here? Have aliens visited Earth? I doubt it. I don't think so either. I don't think so. What is art? Wow. Um, 
You got some artistic poses on OnlyFans, sounds like. What's art? Yeah, I, I'm into photography. I love to paint. I think art is simply an expression of thoughts and emotions in a different medium. You know, it's it, um, subjective and also objective to a certain degree. Um, less than yeah, two minutes here. What's the meaning of life? And then promote whatever you want. We got less than two minutes here. The meaning of life, what gives you hope, inspiration, and anything you want to promote. The stage is yours. Yeah. Human connection. And, and yeah, I'll use that to, to kind of promote my podcast once again, that I want to connect with people. I think storytelling is hugely important. I think um, everyone has a story and everyone deserves to share it in a safe space. Sick and sexy with Miss Fanny. Is that, is that what's going to be called? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal my name when I launch my podcast. That's going to be after Fanny is uh, off Twitter and I'm oh, rebranding no. myself. So she's yep. going to be off. You're gonna, that's the end of Miss Fanny. Yep. And you'll see my tweet. I, you know, I, you can say whatever you want about her, but she knows when to leave a party. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Miss <laughs> Fanny. And I wish you the best of luck. Sick and sexy. We'll check out the next pod. Let's stay in touch. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. I would love to, MC. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. I also want to thank my special guest, Miss Fanny, on a great discussion about politics, social media, sex work, and OnlyFans, including much more. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out.